Amen. Wow. Thank you, Whitney Rose and Choir Orchestra. What a powerful message. You're never too broken to be home. May that be the prayer. May that be the desire of our hearts as a congregation. That the broken would always have a home. A place where they can come and be loved and nurtured. Redeemed. It's great to see the green shirts back. We can't help but notice you today in the choir. Great to have you back. As you all have come home after ministering to those who've been broken. Broken through life. Broken through storms. Broken through neglect. And you've had the opportunity this last week to go and to love and to minister and, and share good news as you come alongside of them and help them in their place of living. Today we finish our series on to love one another. And as we talk about what does it mean to accept one another, I think as Jesus would say, as He told us to love one another, He said that we must first learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We, we need to learn to love ourselves before we can truly love our neighbor. And I think as we, we talk about what does it mean to accept one another, as we look around the flags of the nations of the world, what does it mean to accept the peoples of the world, to embrace them, to, to share the message of Christ? What does that mean in the context of, of mission and going and sharing the Great Commission? In order to fully understand that, we have to begin at home. We have to be able to accept each other. As a church, as a church family, and so I want us to focus our thoughts on this passage today. You see, we must begin with each other and acceptance within the church. But the truth is, look around us. The church is made up of a diverse people. A diverse people that typically are not drawn together naturally, right? Yet we gather as we've just sung and heard. We gather because we share a brokenness together. We gather because we found healing through Christ our Lord. And this diversity that we share with each other can create tensions. It can create divisions. It can create misunderstanding. And yes, even judgmentalism. I remember back on some of the stories of my, my grandfather and my grandmother. My, my granddad was the chairman of the deacons in, in his church. My grandmother was the president of the bridge club in town. Yeah, some of you that laugh know that that's scandalous. I never understood why the guys could play dominoes, but the women couldn't play bridge. And we use those things to create tension and division within the life of the fellowship. You see, we need to remember that within the body of Christ, there are some who are mature Christians. And there are some who have just been born again. There are some of us that have a, a strong faith. There are some a weak faith still. There are some of us that struggle with legalism, what I would call an abuse of the law, and there are some of us that struggle with license, which I would say is an abuse of our freedom. 
But we must remember that our unity must be found in Christ. And when we focus on the differences that we possess, we will always struggle with unity and acceptance with each other. So what is a church to do? How are we to love and to accept one another? Are you familiar with Rupertus Meldinius? I'm sure he's one of your favorite reads in the evenings before you go to bed. He is a 17th century German Lutheran theologian. I'm sure what he wrote many of you would be familiar with. He wrote this around 1627 is when we first believe it appeared. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now first, what we need to understand when we talk about to accept one another is that this does not mean that we condone or approve one's sin or immorality. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. We're going to spend uh, our time in, in these passages in Romans 14 and Romans 15 where Paul talks about what does it mean to accept one another. But before he jumps into what does it mean to accept one another, I think he sets the stage for us in what I want to say in this idea that in essentials, we must have unity. In verse chapter, chapter 13, verse 14, before he talks about accepting one another, he says, but we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. In essentials, there must be unity. In verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. So we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and pursue righteousness with one another, even as we grow and mature and, and even understand what that means. So in essentials, we must put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, the sins of our world, of our, of our flesh, and of its lusts. John Stott put it this way, an author and theologian. He said, in fundamentals, faith is primary and we may not appeal to love as an excuse to deny essential faith. But in non-fundamentals, however, love must be primary. And we may not appeal to our zeal for the faith as an excuse for failure to love, to love one another and to love our neighbor. So in essentials, we must strive for unity with one another. But in non-essentials, in that which is not essential to the faith, we must strive for liberty. Paul continues in verse chapter 14, verse 1. Now... After we've made this provision to put on Christ, this, this commitment to put on Christ, now we must accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on their opinions. You see, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Remember the, the discussion, the concern at the time was for that meat which would be sacrificed to idols. And there were some in the church that, that said, you know, it's meat, enjoy, and get it at a good special deal, enjoy the meat. We don't believe in those idols, so eat without worry. They had freedom to do that. But others were so concerned that the, the meat might be tainted, it might, uh, it might, it might 
compromise their faith. And they were so afraid that any meat that they might eat would have been sacrificed to an idol that they refrained from eating any kind of meat at all. They committed their lives to be vegetarians. The one who eats is not to regard, in verse 3, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. The Greek word, which, which is not used here, but it, it's a concept that would have been very prominent, and I, I believe Paul is, is referring to it, but the Greek word adiaphora is translated simply as matters of indifference. Or as the Greek philosopher and Stoics, Epictetus said, that which falls between virtues and vices. I believe here that Paul is speaking to the non-essentials of the faith or of the adiaphora in Romans chapter 14. Many times, however, it is the adiaphora that create the greatest tensions and conflicts and challenges within the church. Again, as we've already seen, this is the case of the church in Rome. This mixture of, of Greek and Roman believers with their various backgrounds and convictions and commitments, some being vegetarian, some eating meat, some celebrating a holy day, the Sabbath, or even the Lord's Day on a Sunday, and some saying that, that God has made every day, and that every day is a special and holy day. Verse 21, we see that, that age-old conversation and disagreement in the church about drinking or non-drinking was an issue within the early church as well. I think what Paul is trying to tell us that in these matters that are non-essential to the faith, that, that these should not be the issues of fellowship and unity that we strive for. But rather, those who are strong must accept and build up those who are weak. Now let's be clear. Matters of indifference must not be handled indifferently. Later in chapter 14 and verse 13 specifically, Paul tells us that, that the strong, that, that no one is to be a stumbling block to the one who is weak, to the one who is immature and growing in their faith. I'm always amazed at how we Christians handle matters of indifference, especially when it comes to our, our brothers and sisters of the faith from the nations. We tend to be more concerned about our rights and our freedoms than we are on the impact of others as we would express those freedoms. And Paul is clear, we must not be a stumbling block. I've had the chance, many of you know, I've had the chance to go with Reaching Souls and some of their ministries and we've had the privilege, I've had the privilege to go twice to, to Cuba. We've had a a great time of ministering and teaching pastors. I've had those that say, hey, you're going to Cuba, bring us back some cigars. Interesting, the missionary that we went with said, hey guys, don't buy any cigars because we have worked hard to have a witness here. We know believers at the airport 
We know believers in the markets that we take you to. And when you go and buy cigars, they see that. And you need to understand that that is a stumbling block to the church here. And when they see you do that, it damages the faith that you've come to strengthen. So what do we do? Well, the strong would say, okay, cool, I don't need to do that. When I served in Panama, we would have mission groups that would come in and, and we would be very specific. When you arrive in Panama City, we're going to show you a few sites. So come in pants. Don't wear shorts. It's a cultural taboo. It's a taboo for the, the church that out in, in public, in, in, the, excuse me, in, the, in the business community and going downtown during the day is that you don't wear shorts. It's disrespectful in the culture. And I can't tell you how many times that the American Christians would get off the planes in their shorts and say, hey, we can wear whatever we want to. Because we're Americans. And we have the freedom to do this. Again, being a stumbling block to the ministry, to the work among the nations. Another group of ladies that went was telling me that in this particular country is in the, in the Caribbean island that only prostitutes would wear fingernail polish. So, don't wear fingernail polish. Until you go to the market and there's a great deal on manicures, right? And so, let's get our fingers done. And we become a stumbling block to the Gospel and matters that are indifferent. As we look around the nations, it's easy to look at those cultural taboos and things as we go into a culture that we need to know. But what are those things that we wrestle with here? Those things that are really of indifference here that we allow to become a stumbling block. You see, those who are strong in freedom, they must not use their freedom to destroy the faith of one who is weak and one who is growing. The strong must practice grace, restraint, and abstinence for those who are strong in the law you must continue to grow in your freedom and not judge or condemn those who have found a freedom in the Spirit of God to do something that you have not do not allow your legalism in the matters of indifference to become a stumbling block to others Paul goes on to say that we must each act according to our own conscience. And when we do so, we please God. Look at verses in chapter 14. Look at verse 14. I know, Paul says, and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that, that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about food. He's talking about that meat that you might, might partake of. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. It's not, it's not suggesting a double standard. What it's suggesting is being faithful in, in our conscience and being aware of our brother and our sister and where they are in their growth and maturity and not offending them as we would live in our freedom. Look at verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Again, the freedom in your faith is not freedom to do whatever you want to. There's, there's righteousness that we are pursuing. Paul's already dealt with that in chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. But in these matters of indifference, 
Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves and in what he pursues in his freedom or her freedom. But the one who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating, her eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. The goal within the church is to accept one another pursuing peace while building up one another, teaching and admonishing one another in the essentials, but not tearing down one another in matters of indifference. And finally, I want us to consider this idea that in all things, charity. Again, let's look at our Scripture and read these nine verses out of the first verses of chapter 15. Paul continuing with this idea. Now we who are strong... We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Again, we're talking to the church. Paul is writing to the church. We're beginning with loving and accepting each other before we can go out and love and accept our neighbor. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance we need to persevere with each other. And the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Let's persevere with one another. Let's encourage one another through Scripture and allow God to strengthen our hope. Now may the, hope, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that why? So that the weak and the strong can come together in unity. Unity of mind, of, of worship. Unity of mission and of purpose. Now may the God, I'll read verse 5 again. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may be with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he's summarizing these, these last verses. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jew, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Accept one another, Jewish Christians. But then he continues, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, again, we are called to accept one another as Christ has accepted us, Jew and Gentile. We do so for the glory of God. I love this contrast. Did you notice in chapter 14, verse 1? So we read those first three verses. We're to accept the weak. Why are we to accept the weak? Why are we to accept those in the faith that maybe we're challenged with our diversity and our, our, our approach to life and faith? Why are we to accept them? Verse 3, because God has accepted them. But did you see that shift in transition in 15 verse 7? We are to accept one another. Not because God has accepted them, but because Jesus Christ has accepted us. Because Christ Jesus has accepted me. 
Because He's welcomed me into the faith. Because He's welcomed me into to His body, the body of Christ. Because He's welcomed and accepted me. Now I have the awesome privilege and opportunity to accept others. You see, much of the tension and conflict in the early church arose from the cultural differences and the religious backgrounds of the Jews and the Gentiles. For centuries, the Jews had been instructed by God to separate themselves from the Gentiles and to wait for a Messiah that would bring them freedom and liberty from their Gentile oppressors. Many of those Jews never understood that the Gentiles were also a part of God's plan of salvation. Paul's words were that there's neither Greek nor Jew. And the folks still had not comprehended or understood those. They were still, the Jewish Christians were still struggling with the fact that Gentile Christians were not being circumcised. They were eating unclean meat. And they were not observing the Sabbath. And Paul responded, no, you don't get it. You must accept one another as Christ has accepted you. The kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking or which day to do this or to do that, but rather it's about righteousness, the essentials, and peace and joy in the Spirit of God. Church, it's easy. It's easy to look at the nations of the world and to, to, to see some of the struggles that they have. And it's easy to look at the, the ancient church, the early church, and to, to see the struggles that they have. But if we would be honest with ourselves today, we still fight these same battles. And because of that, the church today is as divided as it appears to have been even back then. And Paul would come to us today and say that we must accept one another. Oh, that we would give up the battles of hymns or choruses to drink or not to drink. Denominational relationships. Democrat or Republican. Do the flags of the nation stir your heart? Do they, they cause you to reflect on the work of the church in these countries? Or do you well up with a, a, a jealousy and an ethnocentrism about the issues of immigration in our country and those people need to stay out of my country? Even the ones that might profess Christ, right? Church, we're still hindered by these same battles. The racism of our culture continues to rear its ugly head and the prejudices of our past still impact our churches. As the old saying goes, the 11 o'clock hour in America is one of the most segregated hours of the week. Church, we battle we battle in areas that essential, aren't essential in our faith and they create division. And the word of the Lord comes to us today and says, we must accept one another in a, in a community with a university. The educated and the uneducated must accept each other. Find unity together. 
In a community with a diversity of wealth, the rich and the poor must come together. We cannot show favoritism for the rich, as James suggested the church struggled with in his book. Church, we must be a people that move beyond these, these battles and these divisions and learn what it means to accept one another. And as we do that and as we practice this, then guess what? We can not only love ourselves as the people of God, but we can love our neighbors. And we can love the peoples and the nations of the world. What do we do about this teaching as it relates to those outside of the church? What do we do about the unbelievers who, who need Christ? I think that we can adopt these same principles. We must not compromise the essentials of our faith and the righteousness in our daily living, but neither must we put a stumbling block before others in non-essential matters. And in all matters, in every matter, we must lead with love and grace and compassion, not with judgment and condemnation towards those who are lost, confused, broken, enslaved in their sin and their darkness. Yes, we must all confess our sin. We must all repent of our sin. But that is the work of the Holy Spirit as we work to do our part, which is to love, which is to serve, which is to minister to our neighbor. I think Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. He says it this way. He says, I have become all things to all people in order to win some to the Lord. To the weak, he became weak. To the strong, he became strong. To those without the law, as without the law. But listen carefully to what Paul says to his next sentence. Though he became to those without the law, as without the law, he says, but I was never without the law of God or, un or being under the law of Christ. Paul did not condemn himself in what he did, even as he reached out to all men and all women to share Christ. Again, faithful in essentials, gracious in non-essentials, loving in all things. This is how we bring glory to God. And as these flags represent the peoples of the world and even the people in our own nation, our own communities, and our own families, we are reminded that this is a difficult work. Yet it is, it is the work that we, the body of Christ, have been called to. And this morning we must remember that we have learned that by Christ accepting us, the Father was glorified. And as we accept one another, we too are a part of the work of God being glorified. Here's what brings glory to God. When the world around us looks at the church and says about the church, how in the world do those people get along? And when we say, because Jesus is our standard, and while we were yet sinners. He died for us. While the world around us is still in the darkness of their sin, we must die to ourselves and love and serve them. 
for the glory of God. You see, this is the way of life that will not only strengthen this church, but will also draw others to Christ. Jesus said it this way, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, as I have laid down my life for you. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples. May our love and the way we accept one another and the way we accept those in the world that are, are struggling in their sin as we come along to love and minister to them, may the world know we are His because of the way we love. Let's pray. Father, You are a good and gracious and loving God. And through the example of Your Christ, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, we have seen how You've been glorified as He laid down His life. And as He accepted us, even while we were yet sinners. And Father, I pray that we would follow this example. God, teach us, show us how to love one another, to accept one another. Father, may that these arguments and divisions over non-essentials, may, may we see the foolishness in that. And may we cling to You and be faithful as we follow after you in each day. The altar is open here as we stand to sing in a moment. We would invite anyone to come to, to receive Christ Jesus, to, to proclaim today that you are accepted, you are loved, you've been redeemed by Christ. If you come, we can pray for you and, and walk with you through that journey as well. Maybe you would say there's relationships within the church, within the fellowship that, that you would say, I need to be more assertive and, and not be a stumbling block and more gracious and loving. And I need to accept others. If that's your prayer, you come and, and we'll pray. Or maybe you just can go to, to that person or make that commitment in your own life to love others, to accept others as Christ has loved and accepted us. As we stand and sing, you be faithful. I'll be here to receive those that would come. Amen. Let's stand.